the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. That's just what happened. I want you to think of critical theory as a Trojan horse. It usually rides along inside a discussion about diversity. It usually rides along inside a discussion about racism, which is real, because sin is real. And it infects and infests the hearts and minds of good people and leads them astray. Every dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into, all the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth, that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and thank you for joining us on today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we do hope that you and yours are well and staying strong, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to spend time with us today here on the program. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we return to Pastor Keith's series on race and reconciliation as we hear a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Imagine a God, Part 1. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Galatians, Chapter 3. And now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is truth. Sanctify us in truth, Father. Help us to look at this very difficult era in which we live and the very difficult challenges that we face, Lord, and to do it in a way that honors you above all else, that worships you and you only, and that blesses others, Father. We want to bring glory to God, good to others, and growth to ourselves. So, Father, help us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine a God... Imagine a God who vilifies people because of the color of their skin, because of their nationality, because of their origin, because of their religion or their appearance. Imagine such a God. Imagine a God who vilifies people because of their vocation, because of what happened generations ago. Imagine a God who punishes people by generations. You know, in North Korea, in North Korea, it's really odd. If somebody commits a crime, a crime against the state, if somebody does something that the government doesn't approve of or the society doesn't approve of, they arrest, punish, and imprison three generations for life. Imagine such a God. Imagine a God who condemns logic and reason and facts and critique and dialogue. Imagine a God who doesn't believe in extending grace to the sinner. 
Imagine a God who doesn't bestow gifts on people and abilities or special enablements, but expects them to scratch and claw and rip it from the hands of others. Imagine a God. Imagine a God who encourages conflict, who encourages dissension and division. Imagine a God who says that you shall steal under the right circumstances so long as you steal from the right people. Imagine a God that teaches that there are some races, some genders, some people groups beyond the reaches of his grace. Imagine such a God and imagine such a worldview. Who is this God? What is this world's view? This God is not Jesus Christ. It is not the God of the Bible. Today's message, as you might have guessed, is entitled Imagine a God. And in this message, we're going to talk about critical theory, sometimes called critical race theory, but it's much broader than that. We're going to talk about intersectionality and Christianity and the differences and the incompatibilities of these concepts together. Because this is critical to our time. People are trying to wrestle with serious problems in a serious way. And as Pastor Chris told us last week, there is a right way and a wrong way. There is a right diagnosis and a wrong diagnosis. And the wrong diagnosis leads to the wrong treatment, the wrong outcomes, and certainly not a cure. And so I'm going to be talking to you over the next few weeks about that. This week and next week, I'm going to be talking about what not to do, what to avoid in dealing with matters of race and reconciliation. And then the the final week, I'm going to talk to you about what to do, how to go about this. So what not to do and what to do. And so I want you to think about that and pray about that because the last thing that we need, the last thing that this world needs is the wrong cure. It's the wrong approach. It's the wrong idea, the wrong worldview because it will only make things worse. Now, some of you may say critical theory, intersectionality, I'm not familiar with that. You may have only heard these terms recently, but they have been around for a long time. I remember encountering them the first time during my uh, doctoral work in 2012 and 13. Uh, I didn't take them as seriously. I saw them as an alternate worldview naturally. But I never imagined that they would work their way into the church or Christian institutions. But nowadays, you'll find them taught outright from Wheaton, Illinois, to Louisville, Kentucky, to Santa Barbara, California, to almost everywhere. There are church conferences. There is a huge church conference on, uh, on multi-ethnic, multicultural churches in 2019 in Dallas, Texas that taught this and it's it's everywhere the largest protestant denomination is now flirting with this ideology with this aberrant theology denominations closer to home the same thing and so we have to think this through carefully biblically and you may say well why are they messing with such a worldview why are they entertaining such concepts based on the prescription the description i just gave Well, good intentions. I mean, they're not like trying to do the wrong thing. They're trying to do the right thing. 
but they're using the wrong approach because they've made the wrong diagnosis because they have thought uncritically about the issue. You could say naivety may be part of it. Part of it is just flat out the wrong diagnosis. And that only leads to the wrong approach, which only leads to harm. Which brings us to Muhammad Ali. And somebody's going, well, Muhammad Ali? Some of you might be saying, and I hope you're not, but you might be saying, who's he? Muhammad Ali is the greatest fighter of all time. He was the greatest, he was the heavyweight champion of the world. I'll tell you how amazing of an athlete and boxer Muhammad Ali was. Bruce Lee used to film his fights and then project them on a mirror on the wall because Bruce Lee was left-handed and he wanted to adapt Muhammad Ali's fighting style to him. Muhammad Ali was also one of the more prestigious guests in one of the hotels that I worked at. And he wasn't at that hotel for pleasure. And he wasn't at that hotel for business. He was at that hotel for medical treatment. There was an experimental clinic near that hotel. And they put their patients, their very wealthy patients, in the hotel. And what had happened with Muhammad Ali was he'd started to show signs of what appeared to be Parkinson's disease. And so his doctors misdiagnosed the problem. And in misdiagnosing the problem, they prescribed the wrong treatment, the wrong cure. And in the end, it made his situation worse, and he developed a debilitating Parkinson's disease-like syndrome. And that is the tragedy of misdiagnosis, of misunderstanding what the problem is. It leads to the wrong treatment. And in Muhammad Ali's case, it was tragic. It was catastrophic. Now, let me just stop right here because maybe my talking about critical theory or intersectionality or critical race theory offends you. Maybe you've been steeped in it. If you've gone to high school in the last 15 or 20 years, if you've just come out of university, believe me, it is woven into the curriculum. And you may not like what I'm saying right now. But let me just encourage you that all conversations have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I encourage you to stay with me, to listen, to listen to the end. I know today it's fashionable to tune out and to cancel, to claim some kind of microaggression and things like that. But let me just encourage you as a a believer to listen. Somebody once said that Satan is the ape of God. That if you go to a zoo, and I've been to a zoo and you know, moved around in front of an ape or a chimpanzee, they imitate you. Satan does that with God. He has a counterfeit for every good thing that God has. That includes solutions to problems. And critical theory, critical race theory, intersectionality are like Trojan horses that Satan uses to get into and to insert himself into real situations and real circumstances and subvert the whole process. Now, some of you know what a Trojan horse is, or you think you know what it is. You you think it's a malware that gets into your software and hijacks your computer. That works. But that's not what a Trojan horse is. That goes back to ancient Greece. There was a battle between two ancient cities They fought to a 10-year draw, and in desperation, one city built a big wooden horse, put their version of Navy SEALs inside that horse, wheeled that horse up to the gates of the city that would not surrender, and pretended to leave, 
hoping that that city would be thankful for a resolution to the conflict and bring that horse into the city and their shock troops could then pour out of that horse at night, open the gates of the city and they could overrun the city. That's just what happened. I want you to think of critical theory as a Trojan horse. It usually rides along inside a discussion about diversity. It usually rides along inside a discussion about racism, which is real, because sin is real. And it infects and infests the hearts and minds of good people and leads them astray. This is not new. Satan has done this all along. When you look at the Arab Spring and all these students got out and protested oppressive Arab regimes, and then about day three, you notice the people showing up in traditional Muslim garb. And in Egypt, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood rode the bus of democracy to take Egypt totalitarian. This is the kind of thing that's going on today within the church. Because outwardly, on the surface, critical theory looks like something good. And in fact, there are aspects of it that are positive because they make us think rightly about racism, about oppression, and about things like that. Critical theory, like Christianity, seeks to answer our most fundamental questions about reality and about life. But unlike Christianity, it does so in error. Both Christianity and critical theory aim at good results, you might say. But the problem is, only one of them is true. Both of them might feel right. But as the writer of Proverbs tells us, and you can look at this in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I want you to listen to me here. Here's the larger problem with critical theory and intersectionality. If they're right, Christ is wrong. If critical theory is right, Christianity is wrong and is a hateful, oppressive religion. And that's why the Santa Barbara school system has labeled Christianity an oppressor. And that's why they're being sued by many of the parents, perhaps. You see, both can't be right. You look at the, the riots and protests in Portland, and this weekend, what did they start doing? They started burning Bibles. Because these are two worldviews in opposition. Each serves a different God. Make no mistake, each has a very different view of the world. It has, each has a very different starting point. They rely on, very, on conflicting and opposing sources of wisdom. One, to use the book of James, relies on the wisdom that is from above, that is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, Christianity. The other is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritually, secular, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Each theology, each worldview begins in a very different starting point. And they take you to two very, very different destinations. Now, how much can I share with you about this in two weeks? Not enough, but I can introduce you to the concepts. 
And so let me just take a moment here for a shameless plug. We're going to have a virtual conference. We're going to have a seminar on critical theory and Christianity. We're going to be uh, uh, hosting uh, two uh, for the sake of the weaker brothers who might stumble if a white guy like me talks about it too much. Two people of color, uh, Dr. Vodi Bakum and Dr. Neil Shinvi, and they're going to talk to us uh, in depth about intersectionality, critical race theory, race, race, racism, and reconciliation. So stay tuned for that. But what I'd like to do today is to begin to introduce you to the differences between critical theory, intersectionality, they are two sides of the same coin, versus Christianity. And what I'm going to do with you today is to begin to share with you four devastating flaws in critical theory and intersectionality. And in so doing, I hope you'll see why no one can serve two masters. So four flaws. Flaw number one is this. Critical theory and intersectionality have an unbiblical view of humanity. Critical theory and intersectionality, and I can almost use the two interchangeably, have an unbiblical view of humanity. In this worldview, in this religion, in this theology, in this epistemology, there are only two kinds of people in the world, the oppressors and the oppressed. Who are the oppressors? This is not an oversimplification. This is a synthesis of what they say. An oppressor is everybody that has anything that others don't have. The thesis is, if you have something that others don't have, you came by it through oppressing other people. Now, when you think about that, that is logically impossible. It is mathematically impossible. That if, you're, if you've moved up in your career, it's not a zero-sum game that you're taking from somebody else and giving to yourself. That's just illogical. But here's the problem. They have an answer for that. Logic and reason and even mathematics are racist and oppressive. With critical theory and intersectionality, oppressors and their victims are divided up by race, gender, national origin, language, and immigration status. Now, I keep using that word, intersectionality. What does that mean? Intersectionality seeks to measure someone's level of oppression based on how many people groups they fall into. It's like a point system. It's a merit system. And it splits humanity into subgroups of warring tribes, sections, and people groups, which is really contrary to what the Bible teaches, right? I mean, Pastor Chris talked about this last week with Galatians 3.28 and 3.29. God in Christ seeks to unite people around a common belief, around a common relationship And we saw that in Galatians 3.28 and 3.29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The gospel unites. It seeks to cure us by changing us from the inside out. Because you really can't change the world without changing the heart first. So the gospel unites and critical theory divides. Whatever appearances 
we may see physically in one another, whether it's height or weight or gender or color or whatever it is, neglects the reality, sweeps aside the truth that we are all created in the image and likeness of God. We are all equally image bearers. That's what the Bible teaches in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is completely contradictory to critical theory, to intersectionality. And this assures that people are always divided into warring camps, the oppressed versus the oppressor du jour. One, in one era, it'll be the white European male, and next it'll be the African-American male. And in the next, it'll be an African-American female, and you just have this unending rotation of oppressors who must be dealt with. This assures that someone is always mad at someone about something. And that is not how God sees humanity. That is how Satan sees humanity. The Bible tells us that there's only one race, the human race. Now, we're told today that's a racist statement. But in Acts 17.26, it says, from one blood in some translations, from one person, it says, God created all nations. And the word there for nations is Ethnes, ethnos, in which we get the word ethnicities. You know, the difference between a, an Asian man and an African-American man and a Caucasian man in terms of color and body fat is less than three percentage points, less than three basis points. One genome. God wants unity, not division. And that's the reason why this oppression model fails. The oppression model of intersectionality is contra-biblical. Why? Because it ignores the sovereignty and providence of God who determines the boundaries of nations, who raises up kings, who gifts people according to the purposes that he has for them, who sends trials to them, who even determines the gifts and abilities and the talents that they receive. We all remember the parable of the talents, right? Let's take a look at spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 and 11, it says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who, watch this, who apportions each individually according as he wills. Where's the oppression? It's the same thing with your physical abilities. Now, critical theory and intersectionality has these hierarchies, these, these filters, these degrees of oppression, real or imagined, fact or felt. And this is where it becomes confusing. This is where it becomes self-defeating. What do I mean by that? Well, with intersectionality, it's like this. Based on where you fall on a continuum, you can or you are to receive either preferential treatment or some kind of punishment. And that's just plain unbiblical. You see, we're not warring people groups. We're individuals. And even every person within every race or gender is different than the other in some sense. What does the Bible say about showing partiality to this group but not to this group? What does partiality say about the idea that if you're poor, you must be more pious? 
What does the Bible say about that? Look with me in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 15 through 18. Leviticus 19, verses 15 through 18. I want you to listen to what the Word of God has to say. You shall not be, that's a command, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Now some people could say judging your neighbor is oppressive. Verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, We just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org, where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab, as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again right here next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, It is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and keep you. And thanks for listening.